Are you prepared? Because I have a question for you. Uh, where does a fish conservancy keep its money? Where fish does a conservancy, fish conservancy yeah. keep its money? Oh gosh, yeah. I don't know. Well, you should because it's a river bank. <laughs> river I bank, see. Right? Fish. It's a bank, I see. Right? I see. It's a river bank. Welcome to the Using the Whole Whale podcast, where we learn from leaders about new ideas and digital strategies making a difference in the social impact world. This podcast is a proud production of Whole Whale, a B Corp digital agency. Thank you for joining us. Now, let's go learn something. This week on the nonprofit news feed brought to you by Whole Whale. Well, we have a scattering of news middle of summer, but we had some interesting realizations. We kind of talked about this before, but it's about the energy tax credits that are available, quietly available. It's unclear who knows and how much they know about what's available for uh, 501c3s in the US with buildings. Uh, how's it going, Nick? It's going great, George. How are you? Well, I'm in a very funny wallpapered midwestern vibe here today with my background i just i just keep changing it up for folks if you're watching on youtube we love a changing background it keeps things interesting and something interesting that we wanted to talk about today and this comes from the religious news service is that there are billions of dollars in tax credits and grants available from the u.s government for nonprofits, and as highlighted, of course, by this article, is churches and religious congregations. So this money comes primarily from the 2022 Inflation Reduction Act, or IRA, but there are also funds available from the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law, as well as the Chips and Science Act. So it seems that before the, the IRA, only commercial and taxpaying corporations could benefit from eco-green tax credits. So that's installing solar panels, it's getting your building up to certain green standards. But now that's been expanded. And those tax credits are now also available for nonprofits, religious congregations, organizations, etc. It's interesting here, it seems that this particular article from the religious news service, which has an angle of trying to bring this uh, <laughs> to religious religious audiences and try to engage those communities and organizations. But the funds are available for nonprofits broadly, particularly nonprofits with significant physical infrastructure. So George, you were talking about boys and girls clubs, things like different like Y's and, and, and places, nonprofits with, with actual building infrastructure. Uh, so George, what do we think about this? How are nonprofits gonna get the word out? How important is this as we work to mitigate the effects of climate change, which by the way, super hot all over the world. Uh, uh, I think ocean temperatures are set to break some other world's record soon. It seems that the time is now to get everybody on board with this. Absolutely. And you see different networks tying it into various narratives to make sure they're aware of it. Obviously, it's not something you can just sort of click a couple buttons and sign up for, but something to consider for any type of infrastructure that your organization has. Because look, here is the Office of State and Community Energy Programs, the SCEP. And basically, any nonprofit including houses of worship, which they're noting here, invest 600,000 in tax credit eligible solar, battery storage, EV chargers. It may qualify, could qualify for a $200,000 cash payment from the IRS. So it's not like free, but let's just say you already had a project 
in the works, you should absolutely be thinking about that because that can really extend uh, an infrastructure capital investment and also could be an interesting way to do uh, a, you know, a kind of matching matching program. Hey, you know, if we get this infrastructure now, like because we always need to answer why now for nonprofits in terms of building up our buildings capacity or even if you're looking at overflow storage for those battery storage or EV chargers, right? Like that's, you know, a way of making sure that you can maintain power through, let's just say a disaster or power outages as well. So there's a lot more to it than just throwing a solar panel up there. If you really look at this, I think there's great opportunity for, again, organizations with infrastructure. No, I think that that's a great point. Yeah, it's it's an investment, right? That one that you can now reap uh, financial benefit um, both for yourself as an investment, but also um, in these credits. So it'll be interesting to see which niches of the nonprofit community um, ultimately are able to take advantage of this the best. Uh, yeah. That's something and actually that the will site, if you want to go to it, IRS, irs.gov slash elective pay. If you're just even curious about what is covered and what's possible. Awesome. Great. We'll include that in the show notes. And George, thinking about environmental sustainability, an organization that we like a whole lot here at Whole Whale, full disclosure, we work with them. The Giving Block has announced that they are negating the carbon footprint of cryptocurrency donations. So, of course, there's been lots of news stories about the carbon footprint from crypto, uh, mostly because it takes a lot of computing power to to crunch. Um, I'm not going to try to explain the blockchain. I love this. Keep going. It's good. You're crunching All numbers. right. We're, we're crunching we're crunching the numbers and we're getting crunchy because <laughs> we are talking about environmental <laughs> kind of offsetting via these credits. So the Giving Block is a cryptocurrency fundraising platform and they're the primary leaders behind crypto philanthropy. And they unveiled EcoGift, which is a process designed to make cryptocurrency donations climate friendly. So it was designed in collaboration with this nonprofit, 501c3 Climate Vault, um, and they are a leader in carbon reduction. And they actually came up with a way of measuring the carbon footprint from cryptocurrency donations processed on the Giving Box platform and created a way for that to be offset. And it seems that um, they are actually offsetting those climate donations via donations to this climate charity uh, beyond the standard for what's considered a typical climate offset here. So I think that this is huge for climate and environmental nonprofits and as a way in, of instilling donor trust that's saying, hey, donors may be aware of the huge computing power of cryptocurrency donations, but now they have a vehicle to do so where the offsets negate the environmental harm and risk associated with such uh, donations. Yeah, we love seeing this from our partners. They're, you know, leaders certainly in, in crypto giving with a, a solution there that lets you simply accept all manner of cryptocurrencies. All cryptocurrencies are not created equally under the world of, frankly, as you said, crunching numbers, but proof of stake, proof of work, they're very different. They use very different amounts of energy, but from a narrative standpoint, from a narrative standpoint, I, I like this move because it sort of puts it beyond reproach with uh, regard to environmental organizations needing to frankly say, look, these donations are, are offset. Although pause for a second and realize when a donation is made, let's say a Bitcoin, which is a proof of work, currently the largest and dirtiest, if you're measuring by that extent, cryptocurrency, when you make that donation, it's liquidated. So technically it's brought out of the system and moved into fiat. 
traditional money, right? US dollars. So it's actually like not being held on the blockchain anymore. It's not taking up that compute power, but I get it from a narrative standpoint. You just need to be able to say, look, it's completely neutral. They do the math, they make sure it's clean. And I like this move because it's going to get more organizations a way, a new avenue for donations um, as, as crypto begins to uh, come back, you know, overall as a market, uh, you know, things like Bitcoin and Ethereum, the two largest coins are up over 50, 60 percent this year alone. So quietly coming back. So I know that there was this like whole like hullabaloo and numbers we're going to the moon and whatnot, but it is uh, it is not gone away and it is certainly not gone away as a, a charitable avenue and strategy for nonprofit organizations. George, I think that's absolutely true. Uh, we'll continue to follow this. And I think it's interesting to see that as the the crypto field matures and they better understand and the public better understands, you're, you're likely to see uh, more of these types of efforts, but potentially also maybe even more advancements when it comes to computing power. Now, what we think about, uh, you know, extremely large mega computers, they, those computers, I don't know, they're, it seems like they're splitting their attention between the AI well, and the... Yeah, the now the AIs are computing. now chewing up all the GPUs for, yeah. you know, what, what used to be all for, for blockchain. I mean, the high level is you just need more sophisticated computers as technology advances. Like, that's the oversimplification of things. But yeah, there's far more increased pressure on that. So, you know, I haven't heard the environmental narratives as hard on uh, on AI chat GPT. Uh, there's whispers of it, but I keep looking mm. for, for articles. But, you know, it, it's kind of funny narrative versus reality of of what people respond to and are, are looking for in terms of answers and, and green technology. No, George, I think that is really fair. Um, this requires real power computing power and people power, by the way. Maybe uh, it's about time we review uh, <laughs> or we go back into, I don't know, I'm kind of done talking about Twitter, right? Um, but big tech actually impacts people, the environment, the climate. Um, and I think these conversations are, are worth revisiting as we talk about global sustainability broadly. Um, but actually staying on this trend, wow, it's a big, big week for I the I really feel the like blockchain. narratively we fit these together well. <laughs> We did. So we did a great going job. together well today. <laughs> we're 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 quite strategic um, in how we select our articles because this next one is about FTX, um, formerly led by disgraced CEO Sam Bankman-Fried, um, is attempting to claw back customer funds worth approximately seventy-one point five million dollars, which were transferred to Sam Bankman-Fried's life science-focused NGO. Um, and that qualifies as recoverable assets and should be clawed back according to attorneys. So the filing claims that Bahamas-based Latano Science Fund and the FTX Foundation invested this $71.5 in life science companies like Lumen Bioscience and 4J Therapeutics between February and October of 2022. <laughs> the nonprofit op operation is domiciled in the Bahamas and was founded by Sam Bankman-Fried. George, I think this might be the first time I've heard of an offshore nonprofit. Uh, no, not the first time, but certainly raises flags. I think what's interesting here is that organizations, nonprofits should be aware of what this clawback stipulation is because just because you have money doesn't mean it's yours. There's a number of ways 
that that money could actually be clawed back. And this is, um, you know, probably not a surprise as, you know, the, the story unfolds and investors were uh, literally, you know, ripped off for billions of dollars as he just did a giant pyramid scheme. Um, but, you know, in terms of the world of clawback, like it's entirely possible it does happen and can also happen uh, when an organization fails to meet the donor expectations and agreements that were stipulated in, in a gift. So it's not just sort of in the case of an insolvency where a clawback can happen. You can uh, have many ways where large, large amounts of money are, are, are sought after by uh, the original donors. Um, in this case, I, I, I'm not feeling too bad for that particular nonprofit, though, because not all nonprofits are good. Just because you achieved a 501c3, you know, I like I like to remind us. I think we should get T-shirts, George. Really, <laughs> should make a, make a statement. Stuff George says every episode. Just because you have a 501c3 does not mean you are for the true public benefit. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see this story develop um, as all the litigation proceeds, but we will keep an eye on it uh, as something that I say every episode. Um, I want to take us into this next one. This is both sad, um, but also bittersweet. Uh, over the weekend, Tony Bennett passed away, famed singer and musician. Tony Bennett passed away at 96 years old, and we threw in an article from the U.S. Sun highlighting Bennett's charitable efforts as a big-hearted star, uh, created a New York City performing arts public school. Um, so Bennett helped establish the Frank Sinatra School of the Arts um, in New York City public high school for talented kids in the city. Uh, the school itself is based out of Queens, um, and Tony leveraged his, quote, expansive network of superstar friends who lent their talents and professional insights through performances, seminars, and graduation speeches, including celebrities such as Lady Gaga, Billy Joel, Paul McCartney, and Harry Belafonte, um, who provided masterclass uh, workshops for the kids at the school. Um, George, this past week, we talked about uh, nonprofit theater, the public theater, laying off staff. Um, the arts community is such a big part of what makes cities and our culture special, but especially cities like New York. Um, it's amazing to see uh, providing arts education uh, to, to kids in the city. Um, so just want to celebrate Tony Bennett's amazing career, amazing work um, and uh, charitable contributions. Yeah, you love to see it. Uh, my my family, we used to, we actually got to meet Tony Bennett back in the day and my, my late stepfather was uh, a radio personality and. Uh, often, uh, often played Tony Bennett. Tony Bennett's uh, incredible music over the years, and so you know it was sad to see, but deeply respect somebody who also gives that much uh, charitably back. Um, you know, the guy from Queens, and sort of never, never forgot that, and I think uh, gave authentically. I'm sometimes on the fence of the sort of celebrity first charities, uh, but there are ways to do it, and I think this is one of them. Um, it definitely will be missed, but what a what a legacy and career. All right, absolutely. Well, I will get to the joke because I know that's why people actually listen to this. Are you prepared? Because I have a question for you. Uh, where does a fish conservancy keep its money? Where fish does a conservancy, fish conservancy yeah. keep its money? Oh gosh, yeah. I don't know. Well, you should because it's a river bank. <laughs> right, I see. Right, right. Fish. It's a bank, I see. Right? I see. It's a river bank. 
I, well, uh, I see. I'm with you. <laughs> Great. Speaking of money, you should check out Nonprofitist and their survey. You've heard us talk about it before, but they actually show you what influences a consultant's rates. How much are you paying based on the industry, the length of time, even the credentials of a consultant? I think it's really transparent, super to have as a resource. So thanks to nonprofit.ist for putting that out there. All right, Nick. Thanks. Thanks, George. This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com university to keep learning with us. Thanks as always to gregthomasmusic.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you.